Good morning. Well, I'm the only pastor not in his right mind. That's really great. I'm actually pretty grateful that Easter Sunday doesn't usually fall on April 1st. Can I just ask you, do you think it's cool to prank a pastor with an April Fool's gag on Easter Sunday morning? Does that, does that seem like a good thing to do? So last night, my wife Karen and I went out for Chinese food with our good friends, Mac, our worship leader, and Ian, her husband. The food was great. The, the restaurant's a little sketchy, though. <laughs> and Karen says to me this morning, she says, you know, I wasn't feeling really great when I went to bed, and I was thinking to myself, it's probably not a good idea for the preacher and the worship team leader to go out to eat, like, the night before Easter. 7.30 in the morning, Ian sends me a text. Bad news, Max got food poisoning. Won't be able to leave. So he lets me sweat for about five minutes, and then it's April Fool. And uh, I tell you that story to let you know that if you have a really good prank, even if it's mean, and you want to try it out, Ian would love to experience that. Okay. I don't know if you have any uh, Easter traditions. I'm going to tell you about mine. Every Easter Sunday for about the past 30 years, I make a point of listening to the Easter song uh, recorded by Keith Green, his version of it. If you don't know who Keith Green is, uh, I became a believer in Jesus in the mid-70s, yes, I'm that old, and uh, Keith Green's music was really helpful to me, very encouraging in my walk with the Lord, and I, I love that song, Hear the Bells Ringing, they're singing that you can be born again. Hear the bells ringing, they're singing, Christ is risen from the dead. The angel up on the tombstone said, He has risen, just as he said. Quickly now, go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. I love that. Well, it's been a long time since the angels said, Go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. And here we are. Over 2,000 years later, and we're retelling that good news, and we're thinking about what difference that should make in our lives today. So what I want to do is I want to show you a little video clip, kind of deals with that question, raises that question, and then I'll come back up and want to think it through with you for a little bit. 
Is this on? Okay. Uh, hi, it's my first time to MyTube, and uh, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing actually. Uh, something's actually kind of bothering me, so I figured, what better? I'll share it with five million of my closest anonymous friends on the web. Can't talk to the wife about it. Um, so what's bothering me, you might ask? Easter. Easter's bothering me. Uh, it's not really Easter. I dig Easter. The bunnies and the baskets and the kids running for the eggs and family photos, that's all awesome. I love it. But then comes the day after. Monday. And the kids go back to being kids. Daddy, he stole my toy! Daddy, he pulled my hair! And the wife's like, sweetie, can you run this little errand 45 minutes out of your way? And oh yeah, the office meeting. The three-hour office meeting that bears a striking resemblance to being in the dentist chair getting root canals with no Novocaine. Also, the boss can say, you know what, let's go with the original plan. Did I say I like my job? Probably not, because I don't. Every year on Easter, the pastor says, Jesus Christ died for your sins. So you can live in eternity in heaven. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. And then now he's risen. And that feels good. But see, the problem is Sunday night I go to bed and when I wake up, it's Monday. And Monday seems really far away from Easter. And that hope seems really far away. I want that hope. I want Easter every day. Why can't that be every day? I don't know. I'm insane. I'm rambling. I... Does anybody feel like this? Of course not. I don't know what I'm talking about. This is, I'm not going to post this. Easter every day. What does that even mean? What does this guy really want? Is he saying he wants every day to be a, you know, a holiday? Because I think that would be cool. You know, every, every day, get together with some friends. Don't, you don't have to go to work. You just have a special meal. Have some fun together. I can relate to that, if that's what he means. You know, want every day to be a holiday. I, I kind of enjoy that vacation mode, you know, when you get into it. It's fun for a while until you start getting bored. But eventually something calls you back to reality. And that's not really what he meant, is it? That's not what he means by Easter every day. He wants something else. There is something he experiences on Easter Sunday that he wishes he could experience every other day. This is how he said it. He said, the problem is, Sunday night I go to bed, and when I wake up, it's Monday. And Monday seems really far away from Easter, and that hope seems really far away. I want that hope. I want Easter every day. So, what he wants is for every day to be a day of hope. And I can relate to that too. And I think probably you can as well. I think we all can. Even if you're not exactly sure 
what exactly hope is. It sounds good, right? To have hope sounds good. Certainly not having hope, being hopeless, nobody wants that. So the question is, why does he feel hopeful on Easter Sunday, but then when Monday morning rolls around, not so much? Well, to answer that, we have to get a handle on what hope is. And it's really not that difficult, because hope comes in lots of shapes and sizes. It's actually part of just everyday life. It really is. Um, it, it can look different in different ways, different situations, but at the core of it, the center of it is always the same. Hope, hope is this. It's the belief that something good is coming. That's what hope is. Hope is the anticipation, the expectation that something good is going to happen to you and that even if what you're going through today is hard, difficult, tedious, whatever, eventually something's going to happen, something's coming, something good that's going to make it all worth it. That's hope. So I'll give you a few examples. Farmers, uh, you gardeners, you're all getting excited because the weather's getting nicer and probably yesterday. How many of you worked like in your yards yesterday? Because it was, well, if you, uh, uh, I did. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so if you're a gardener, you're going to do all that work. You're going to pull those weeds or whatever, till I grind you, put those seeds in. You're going to do it with hope. You're going to do it in the hope that those seeds are going to sprout and grow and somehow escape the slugs, and you're going to reap a crop. It's going to be great. Students, you have hope. You study for your exams. You, you do your homework in, in the hope that you're going to pass, and eventually you're going to graduate, and then there's going to be good because you did that. Or you go to work. People go to their jobs. And they work in the hope that they're going to get a paycheck. And then they'll be able to buy the things they need. Okay, so these are, these are just a bunch of small examples. But they show how hope really is a part of uh, most of everything that we do. Those are small examples, but pretty much everything we do, we do the things we do with the hope that it's going to bring about something good. It's going to pay off somehow, someday. Okay, but when the guy in the video talks about wanting hope every day and wants it to be Easter every day, he's talking about a big, big hope. Not just a hope that, you know, I can make it through the day or even I can make a living. He wants a hope that makes living itself worthwhile. A hope that's big enough, not just for Easter or holiday, but for every day, including Monday and the other days that nobody particularly enjoys, like my kids are driving me crazy day, or my, my spouse is kind of being a jerk day, or 
that office meeting from hell day. And then days that are far worse than that. Like my company is laying me off day. My teenagers on drugs day. I just got told I have cancer day. Is the hope of Easter big enough for those days? I want to look at a place in the Bible that shows us a connection between Easter and a hope that's big enough for every day. Okay, now this is, comes from the book of Matthew, which is one of four biographies we have of Jesus, his, his life, his death, his resurrection. And at the very end of the book, Jesus is talking with his followers, and it's right after the events we're celebrating today on Easter. Jesus has already been put to death on the cross. He was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again. And this, this is after that. And this is what Jesus have to, has to say to his followers after Easter. Okay, so Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. There's a note sheet in your folder if you want to take it out. It's got the scriptures on it and also some place for notes if you want to take notes. But here we go, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <laughs> Let me just stop there for a minute. You know, if you're kind of familiar with the Bible, if you've been, you know, a believer in Jesus for some time, you kind of get used to him saying things like that. Okay, don't let it lose its punch. That's a pretty amazing statement. If anybody else said it, you'd think they were nuts. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, now at first glance, you're probably wondering, what in the world does this have to do with hope? Did we just change subjects? Because this sounds like a command. Oh, that's because it is. And, you know, it's, you might wonder how we get hope from a command, because that's not our typical response, you know, when somebody tells us to do something. So, you know, a parent, you tell your kid, hey, go clean your room. The kid doesn't turn around and go, all right, now I have hope. <laughs> or your boss says, I want that report on my desk by the end of the day. You don't say, good, now I can face another day. <laughs> but this isn't your everyday command, is it? Think about it. This command is being given by somebody who used to be dead. Just think about that. Jesus, who said things no one else ever said, who did things no one else ever did, who made claims no one else ever made. Jesus, who was executed by trained professionals, buried in a sealed tomb, yet three days later was seen alive by hundreds of eyewitnesses who became convinced that he, 
indeed is Lord of heaven and earth, has all authority in heaven and earth, the one and only Son of God who rescues us from sin and death, that's who's talking. And what he says, what he says in this command gives us answers for the two biggest reasons people feel hopeless. Why do people feel hopeless? Probably everybody has felt that way at times. But sometimes you feel it and it just it stays with you. What, when things are tough, why, why do people feel hopeless? Well, there's probably a number of reasons, but I think there's two main ones. We feel hopeless when nothing seems to matter or no one seems to care. When nothing seems to matter and no one seems to care, that's when we're on the verge of losing hope. Now, uh, because that's when it feels like, you know, nothing good is going to come that's going to make up for this. Okay, I want you to think through those for a minute. Let's start with that first one. When it feels like nothing really matters. Okay, remember, hope is the expectation that something good is coming. You know, something's going to happen. This is going to get better. Something's going to come that... that you know, it's going to make this worth it. Well, what if deep down inside you don't think that's really true? What if you think there's nothing about this? There is nothing about this that matters. See, if that's your situation, you're, you're in falling into the hopeless camp. You say, well, why would you feel that way? Well, you know, maybe you look at your life and how you spend most of your time and you say, pfft. Yeah, maybe it's your job. You put all that time in, or maybe it's something else you do, and it just feels like what you do doesn't really make a big, it doesn't make a difference. So other than the fact that you earn a paycheck, it kind of feels like a big waste of time. And so then the way many people compensate for that is that you just try to cram as much fun in as possible on the weekends or holidays or vacation time, but after a while, even that starts to feel pointless. Because it feels like life was meant for something bigger than just earning a paycheck and being entertained. You start to feel, just nothing, it doesn't matter. Now, the way many people get around this feeling that nothing really matters is very simple. They don't think about it because it's too depressing. So what people do is they just try to keep really busy. Keep busy, and when there's silence, fill up that silence. Fill it with music, fill it with video, fill it with entertainment, whatever. They try not to think about what it all means because they're afraid it doesn't mean anything. That's why the guy in the video thinks nobody else feels like he does, because so few people take the time to think about it. Well, one person took the time to think about it, and he wrote a book about his conclusions. I want to read you a quote. He says this, 
The truth is, life is dull and repetitive. Your life probably follows the conventional path. You go to elementary school, you learn the lists, memorize the words, you study hard, go to the high school, hopefully you get into the right college. After spending four pointless years in college, you join a corporation. If you're a man, you marry in your late 20s, you have a kid the next year, you get promoted, transferred a few times, maybe even become a manager, you turn 65, you retire, you spend the next 20, 10 or 20 years of your life trying to enjoy something or other, and then you die. He says, there are no happy endings like you see on television. Nothing we do will change any of this. We are all powerless. What is the point of life? You know the title of the book that's from? It's called The Complete Manual of Suicide. That's hopelessness. Now, that's an extreme form of it, to be sure. But you know, at the root of it, it's the same ugly suspicion that nothing really matters. By the way, this is probably a good place to plug the new series we're beginning next week. It's entitled this, Future or Fairy Tale? What the Bible Teaches About the Afterlife. Because when you have really smart people like physicist Stephen Hawking, who just died recently, when you get really smart people like him declaring heaven is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark, well, you just might wonder if there really is any point. We'll be, we'll be exploring that. Okay, but what does Jesus, who rose from the dead, what does he say about this? His, here's his answer. His answer for the hopeless feeling that nothing matters is purpose. His purpose for you. His purpose. Because his purpose always matters. His purpose is always worth pursuing. And his purpose always brings about good when you pursue it. Always. Now, what's his purpose? He says, make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Okay, a disciple is a person with a certain relationship, a relationship with Jesus himself. A disciple is a Jesus believer, a Jesus follower. Disciples are people who have been introduced to Jesus and what he did and what he said, and they have put their trust in him. They have entered into a relationship of trust with him and then begin doing, like he said, everything that he's commanded. In other words, living life the way he wants them to, adopting his purpose for their life. And Jesus is telling us here, this is why it's a command, he's telling us he wants those who know him to tell those who don't so that they can know him too. And so that they can come to experience life in relationship with him, living out his purpose for their lives. This is why he died on a cross, so that when we put our trust in him, we enter into 
this connection with Him, with the God who made us, that we would be right with God and we would live a life in relationship with Him that lasts forever. That's the point of John 3.16, which is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. You've probably heard it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, eternal life, it doesn't just mean living forever. It doesn't just mean being alive forever. It means being alive to what is eternal. Starting now. So making disciples, okay, this, this purpose he's given us to make disciples, that involves having a relationship with Jesus yourself and then helping other people have that relationship also. You can keep yourself busy with lots of stuff. You can fill your life with all kinds of busyness. But nothing matters like this matters. This purpose gives your life a significance that you can never find anywhere else. Nothing else has the potential to change the world like this. I'm serious. Nothing else has the potential to change the world like helping people to know Christ and to begin living out His priorities of love and justice and kindness and mercy and all that He commanded. Nothing else comes close. Why? Because this is what we were made for. Jesus is who we were made for. And here's the thing. You can do this every day. You can do this every day. It doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what else is going on in your life. You can be involved in relationships that last forever. You can grow in your own relationship with Christ. You can pray for the people you know that they would have a relationship with Christ, that they would grow in their relationship with Christ. You can befriend people who need Christ's love and truth in their lives. You can get connected to a group of people who have the same purpose, and you, you live it out together. You pursue it together. We can all do this every day. Every day. Jesus is saying, do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your purpose is? Because I do. It's my purpose for you. Here's your purpose. Your purpose is to know me, and your purpose is to help others know me. That is a purpose that's big enough to give our lives meaning and significance every single day. His purpose for us. Now, let's think about that other main reason people feel hopeless. That's when no one seems to care. And I think this one's worse. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but I think this one's worse. Because, you know, even if what you're doing feels kind of pointless, if you know somebody really loves you, if you know somebody really cares about you, somebody's cheering you on, somebody's there for you, and will be there for you, well, then even if things feel kind of pointless, you, you can kind of hang in there and feel like it's worth it. But 
But if nobody seems to care, if nobody seems to understand, that's very, it's very easy to lose hope. Well, here's the trouble. Even the people who love you the most will fail you sometimes. They don't mean to. They don't mean to, but sometimes they just don't understand or they're preoccupied with their own problems or, you know, they've got stuff going on or they're just out of sorts. And, you know, we, we fail the people we love too. But even if, even if there's somebody in your life who is, you know, the, the most loyal, the most faithful friend you could ever imagine, he or she is still limited and can't always be there for you even if they want to be. You know, think about this. When it's time to take an exam, you know, students, or let's say you, you got a, you're taking an exam for a license or certification or something, the people who love you can't take the exam with you. That's called cheating. Or if uh, you have a job interview, your, your friends, your family can't take the interview with you. They can't sit there and go, hey, say this. Oh, that's a good answer. Good job. <laughs> or if you have to have some medical test, if you have to have an MRI, the people who love you can't go in the tube with you. Again and again, we face challenges. And here's, here's the worst one of all. When the time comes for you to face the biggest challenge you will ever face, the people who love you cannot cross the threshold of death with you. Again and again in life, we face challenges where the people who love us can't be there for us. So what does Jesus say about that? Well, right after he gives us his purpose, he says this, And surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age, with you. His answer for the hopeless feeling that no one cares is his presence with us forever. Wait, can he do that? Can he do that? Can he, can he make good on a promise to be with you forever? Well, what do you think? Can you trust somebody who rose from the dead? I mean, if he can do that, not to mention all the other miracles the eyewitnesses say he did, if he can do that, it's not really a matter of his ability. Oh, but does he want to? That might be the harder question. Does he really want to be with you forever? Because, let's face it, you're not perfect. Neither am I. Not even close. That's putting it mildly. The fact of the matter is, According to the Bible, we're all by nature God-rejecting sinners. Ever since the human race told God, get lost, we'll decide for ourselves what our purpose is. We'll decide for ourselves what's good and what isn't. Thank you very much. Ever since then, we've been ignoring, we've been defying, we've been rejecting God and His ways on a daily basis. So why in the world would Jesus want to be with you and want to be with me forever? Well, that's when 
we need to remember why he came in the first place. 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, you can count on this. This is solid. This is legit. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to rescue sinners. See that? Oh, man. He didn't come to save perfect people. He didn't come for perfect people. Well, there aren't any. And if they were perfect, they wouldn't need saving. So he came to save sinners. People who ignore God. People who reject God. People who disobey God. People who dishonor God. People who blow it again and again and again and again. Do you know anybody like that? This is why you can't say, Jesus wouldn't want me. He wouldn't want to be with me because I'm a sinner. Yeah, he knows. He's well aware of that. Your sin, my sin, is the very reason he came. To die on that cross and rise again. You know, when, when Jesus was here on earth, <laughs> the... The religious people, the good people, they thought they were good. Everybody thought they were good. Those good people used to get so upset at Jesus because he was always hanging around with people who obviously weren't good. Just to frustrate them. They just said, what is up with that? And Jesus said to these good people, these religious people, he said, it's not, it's not people who are well who need a hospital. It's people who are sick. You know, people who are healthy don't need a doctor. It's those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Now, there's two big mistakes, two fatal mistakes you can make in thinking about this. One mistake is to think you're good enough without Jesus. You don't need him. You're too good for him. You don't need what he did on the cross for you because you're good enough. Not true. Not true. Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the other mistake you can make is to think you're too bad for him. And he doesn't want you. That's not true either. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but call sinners. So if you're a sinner... You qualify. <laughs> maybe you think this. Maybe you think, why would he love me? Why would he love me? Why, I mean, what is there about me that would make him want me? I've wondered that a lot. But you know, when we think like that, we're asking the wrong question. When we look for the reason for his love for us in us, we're looking at the wrong person. Don't look at you, look at him. It's not about your goodness, it's about his. Don't look at yourself, look at him. Don't listen to what other people say about you. 
Don't listen to what you say about you. Listen to what he says about you. It's what he thinks about you that counts. And he says, I love you. And I want you. Listen to his promise to be with you every day and believe. That's how you can have Easter every day. That's how you can have a hope big enough for every day. That's how you can have his purpose for your life. That's how you can have his presence in your life. By receiving his gift of eternal life and the hope that it brings that he died and rose again to give to you. Let me summarize Let me summarize what the Bible teaches about how to have the hope of eternal life because maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking I don't have that but I but I want that. Okay, if that's you, let me summarize for you what the Bible teaches about this. This is not my opinion. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus wants you to know. How to have the hope of eternal life. First, you have to admit you need it. You have to admit you need it. I mean, if you don't think you need it, you won't take it. That's how that works. Jesus said, Mark 1.15, this is Jesus, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I love that. Repent and believe the good news. It kind of seems like good news and repent. Like, repent is one of those religious words we don't use in everyday life. But you know what? What it actually means is pretty simple. It means turn around. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. It's what you need to do when you're going the wrong way, right? You're with somebody and they're driving and they take a wrong turn. You say, hey, that's the wrong turn. You need to go the other way. Don't be that guy who refuses to admit he's wrong. The sooner you realize you made a wrong turn and change direction, the better for everybody. So if you've been living your life disconnected from God, as if your life's purpose can be whatever you want it to be, because you've been watching too many Disney movies or whatever that just say you can define, you can be whatever you want to be. And you just make up your own purpose. It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy. Or if you've been living as if you don't need Christ, you don't need His forgiveness, you don't need His presence, you don't need to adopt His purpose. Well, you've got to realize you're going the wrong way. Jesus says, follow me. God gave his son to give you eternal life so you would not perish. So you would have his purpose, you would have his presence always. But you have to admit you need it. And then it says, you got to realize that only Jesus can give it to you. Only Jesus can give it to you. Now that is an offensive message today. But that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one else can give you what Jesus can give you because no one else 
is who he is, and no one else did what he did. And basically, every other faith on the market tells you what you have to do in order to be good enough. That's not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is what he did. What he did to make you good enough. He paid the price for you. He conquered death for you. He obtained eternal life for you. He has hope for you. And then that leads us to this. Put your trust in him and receive his gift. John 3.16 again, God gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that is, trusts in him, will not perish but have eternal life. So the link between Jesus offering you eternal life and the hope that it brings and you having it is putting your trust in him and receiving his gift. Because that's what we do. You know, trust him enough to take him at his word. So, you know, if I were to look in my wallet here, I've got a $10 bill, and I say, not yet, not yet. (laughs) Nice try, though. And I say, I will give this to the first person who asks me for it after the service. (laughs) And you want it? And you come to me? Well, you'll only come to me if you want it. And if you trust me enough to think, I'll give it to you. (laughs) Okay. Silly illustration, but it's the same principle on a much bigger scale. If you want eternal life and you want the hope that that gives, if you want his purpose, if you want his presence always, you have to admit you need it. You have to realize he's the one that can give it to you. And you have to come to him and trust him enough to believe he'll give it to you. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, the Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You ask him. That's what that means. You ask him for it. Call on the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is Jesus. And we call on him. We ask him. Now, there are a couple of ways you could do that today if you want. You could use, uh, in just a minute, I'm going to be done and I'll be quiet and invite you to pray. And if you want to, you could just call on the name of the Lord right now, right here in this very place. You could just say, Lord Jesus, something like this. The exact words aren't the issue. He knows your heart. I, I choose to believe today that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead and I want, I want eternal life. I want to be connected with you. I want your presence in my life. I want your purpose for my life. Please do what you said you would do. Or, after we're done singing songs, I've got a few people, a couple of volunteers are going to be down here and if you'd like to talk to somebody, you'd like to, you know, have somebody help you, Maybe answer some questions, help you pray. Um, They'll be here. I'll be down here. I'll be glad to talk to you. Or that Connect card that Tyler mentioned earlier, it's in your folder. 
If you want to have somebody contact you, follow, we'll follow up on that. Just put your contact information in there and say you'd like to talk to somebody. And we'll follow up. Everyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. A hope for every day. For the worst days, for the best days, his purpose, his presence. So, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. And we're going to pray. And you can use this time to, you know, if you've already put your trust in Christ and received his gift of life, you can thank him. Thank him for your his purpose for you. And if you haven't really been tracking with that purpose, then pray that it'll help you get on track. And thank you for his presence with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you, he says. Or you could pray and call on the name of the Lord for the first time and say, yes, Lord, I need you. I want you. I want what you alone can give me. And then in, after a minute or so, I'll, uh, I'll close this. So let's pray. Father in heaven, open, open the eyes of our heart to your presence. Open the eyes of our heart to see the world the way you see it. And Lord, fix our, our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we, we, tr we try to make up our own purpose and it just doesn't work. And, and other people let us down. We tried to build our lives on other things. And Lord Jesus, you are the only foundation. You are the only one. Help us really learn what it means to find our hope in you every day. So that tomorrow, when it's Monday, we can know that you have a purpose big enough for us to live for and you have your presence is with us and we can face anything because of who you are and what you've promised. So we give you praise. We thank you. Lord, if there's anybody here today who's just beginning that walk with you, beginning to trust you, needs encouragement, needs support, needs help, Lord, please help them. Help them take a step toward you. May we be a blessing to one another and to this world in which you placed us. And thank you for the good news that you're alive. We pray in your name. Amen.